2: The offensive rebound Oh
3: Embiid! Clear some space on the wall kids Thank you Kate Scott and Ala Abdel Nabi that was probably the dunk of the year last night offensive rebound off of a foul shot early in the game Joel Embiid missed the uh, second of a pair of free throws which the ball came loose and unleashed one of the, one of the great poster dunks we have ever seen uh good morning everybody i'm glenn Now joined by my pal ray dinger it is among other things a super bowl sunday we're going to get deep into discussion of that throughout the morning and uh talk about those sixers last night and the trade that they made good morning ray how was the how was the snowy walk over
4: oh it wasn't so bad it's a pretty pretty light fine snow not too not too tough Streets in Center City, the streets are clear and just a little wet. Sidewalks are fine, so got some uh you know, got a little light powder on the grass in Rittenhouse Square. It's kind of pretty atmospheric. So uh, uh it was a very easy walk and you know, Super Bowl Sunday has uh just has kind of a nice feel to it. I'm uh, I this is I always get I always get fired up for this day. So uh I'm I'm ready to go.
3: I I enjoyed the Hurricane Schwartz report. That was really good. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> A lot different than yesterday, and then it's going to get up to 60 in the, in, during the week. So,
4: yeah, yep. Yeah, there yep. you
3: go. Uh, we are going to get into the Super Bowl very soon, and right in this segment, but I do want to go over what was a, just a really nice win for the Sixers last night. Most importantly, Joel Embiid has the has the triple-double of 40 points, Ray, 14 rebounds and 10 assists as they beat Cleveland. Uh, and Cavaliers a good team, by the way. Um, Sixers two and zero since the James Harden trade, and Ray was only the fourth time in franchise history that somebody had uh, forty points and ten plus rebounds and assists. This is not going to be a tough one for you. The other three times were all done by the same guy, and his name was.
4: <laughs> oh, I'm guessing it's uh, Will Chamberlain.
3: Yeah, and the last time was forty four years ago, when Will. <laughs> Listen to this. Listen to this box score. Forty-four. It was March, uh, nineteen sixty-eight. Wilt uh, playing for the Sixers against the Lakers, put up fifty-three points, thirty-two rebounds, and fourteen assists.
4: Yeah, <laughs> you know it's. So, uh, you know we, we had a, a week or two ago. You and I were talking about this, and people were talking about the season that Embiid was having and how dominant it's been, in, in, you know in so many ways. And um, people were starting to ev- evoke the name of Wilt Chamberlain. And beginning beginning tentatively to make those kinds of comparisons, as, you know, of, of Embiid to Wilt Chamberlain. And, you know, I mean, I, I kind of – what I, you asked me, and I just said, well, I wouldn't compare him to Wilt now because Wilt had a, a career that I think kind of stands apart from almost any player that's ever played. But I said he's doing things now that are very Wilt-like. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that. And last night was a perfect example. There aren't a whole lot of guys that have played in the NBA that can have a game the way he had a game last night. That was that, That's one that people are going to be talking about for a long, long time.
3: Yeah, uh, and we are we are watching the peak of a career. We are, well, maybe even not, but you know, we are watching a season for the ages. It is a it. Yeah, Wilt stood alone, but it's a it's a Wilt dominant season. It's an Iverson exciting season. It's a it's a Julius highlight season, all in one. Uh, and it is such a pleasure to watch. And and I don't know where the team is going to go this year. We'll get to that. But just watching uh, Joel Embiid in his prime is something. You know, Jared Allen, who's the Cavs center, is good. Is having a really good year. And Embiid destroyed him. And the Sixers had a big win with a short lineup. You know, they're 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 still down, guys. Harden didn't play. We'll get to him in a moment. Uh, the Cavs were 35 and 21 going in. So you'd be one of the teams ahead of you in the standings. Right. Which is really impressive. And Ray, obviously, it's a great example of why Embiid is, is to me, the MVP front runner and why the Sixers, um, Daryl Morey, so desperately wanted to get Harden to help win the title. Right now,
4: yeah, I, I really don't even think that the MVP thing is even much of a discussion at this point. To be honest with you, I mean, I, I you know, at the at the risk of sounding very provincial and saying I'm, you know, I'm talking about the local guy. To me, it's it's not even really close. I mean, the season that he's having, uh, and you're seeing more and more awareness of that nationally as you read national writers and people in other cities. I mean, they're all kind of coming around to the fact that yeah, Embiid's the MVP, and that's you know that's what really that's what really drove this trade was the idea that uh, this guy's a really special player having the greatest year of his career maybe the greatest year he's ever going to have so it makes perfect sense to to put the best possible team around him and give him the best chance of winning the championship because those opportunities don't come around every year you know Correct. but it's there it's there now when you have the best player in the league which they have at the moment then it's sort of incumbent upon the management to try and put the best team around them so you give your best chance of winning the championship and they've done that and we don't know you know we don't know where this thing is going to go with James Harden we really don't we can all speculate and guess and hope but the fact of the matter is they're clearly a better team today than they were a week ago and um right now i mean you'd probably make them co-favorites in the east and to get to the finals and then once you get in the finals Anything can happen. Yeah, well,
3: that's exactly right. I mean, it's you know, you think about the Eagles' season in you know four years ago when hey, you know, they did really well, but they were underdogs in every postseason game they played, and they ended up bringing home the Super Bowl trophy. So that is correct. If the if the Sixers end up one of the top teams in the East, come out of the East, anything can happen. And. It's just, Embiid is so much fun to watch, and he's fun, and he's funny, and he's mature, and he, when he speaks, he speaks wisdom, and it's, it's just, you know, every once in a while, it's a privilege to watch an athlete and, and when he's in our town, and Embiid is that guy right now. Um, just last thing on this, on Harden, arrived yesterday, uh, Ray, I know you're not on social media, but after our show, all of social media just was a buzz and a blaze. As Daryl Morey goes to the airport and Harden arrives in a little plane and gets off and they embrace. And I think Morey puts up something like a new era about to begin. And it was it. He is here. Um, and they showed him last night during the game. They had a little video of his highlights. And then in the end, he's wearing a Sixers jersey on, on the video screen. And the place just went crazy, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, no date yet set for the debut. Uh, he's got to get cleared in terms of his health. And um, Doc Rivers said, it was said, like, is he going to have to practice before you play him? And Doc Rivers kind of chuckles at practice. Well, he didn't quite do the Iverson, but he basically <laughs> said, you know, <laughs> as soon as he can put on a uniform, he's coming in. Yeah, I would say talking so. Talking about practice. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> no. Doc Rivers did not do that.
4: But, you know, the, but we talked about this a little bit yesterday. Um, and this is, it, it's on Doc now.
3: Yeah, it, you know, Daryl
4: Morey. Morey did what general managers are supposed to do, which is go get go get the best players and give yourself give yourself a chance. But now, you know, he's he's handed this team over to Doc Rivers with not a whole lot of time to put the pieces together, knowing full well what the expectation is now and the stakes having been raised. And now, all eyes turn to Doc Rivers and say, "Okay, Doc, here's the team. Make it work." Yeah.
3: Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. By the way, Tyrese Maxey with 24 points last night, 9 for 14. Uh, and he's Doc just getting said better and better. He is getting better and better, and Doc said that uh, he, his plan is to start Maxey and Harden at the same time, so Harden's going to take the ball up the court, which he's better ball handler than Maxey, and boy, I just... I, it, it really seems to me like they're in a good spot right now I mean you know this is this is this is good for everybody in the lineup this this helps everybody so it is going to be a lot of fun now tonight 630 kickoff Rams versus Bengals Ray a hundred million plus people will watch this game uh, it's on NBC this year Al Michaels Chris Collingsworth in the booth um let's uh, let's start the show uh, focus on the quarterbacks if we may so um let's go with joe burrow first uh well go ahead you you just kind of give me your breakdown and then i i will ask you some questions about
4: uh, about burrow uh okay well <laughs> where do you begin with this guy uh he has um uh he's 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 sort of the marquee figure in this game which is kind of amazing i i think i mean when Joe Casual fan thinks about the Super Bowl or when they tune in tonight, I mean, the camera's going to be on Joe Burrow constantly. Um, and that's, that's saying something for a guy that's still just really at the very beginning of his NFL career. But, you know, you're talking about a guy that, you know, won the state championship as a high school player in Ohio, w- wins the national championship as a college player at LSU, uh, on one of the on one of the best college football teams I've ever seen was that LSU team that he that he quarterbacked that year, uh, and now he's in the NFL and he's got an opportunity to win a Super Bowl <laughs> at, at this point in his career. Um, and I, I don't think you know that's none of it's a fluke. I mean the guy really is that good. Um, I I really when I saw him play in college I really felt like I was watching a special player, and uh, I can't say that I expected him to have this kind of success this soon um but you watch him week in and week out and you watch the things that he's done with this team um the way he's taken charge of this team and the way he's made every aspect of this team better and i'm including the coaches when i say that um you realize that he's just an extraordinary talent uh and coupled with the fact that he's done this behind an offensive line that i'm going to be charitable when i say this that is mediocre yeah okay uh I, they aren't even really that but i'm going to be charitable and give them the benefit of the doubt that they're playing in the super Bowl and i'll go as far as mediocre but if you if you actually watch them um man for man and you break them down they're they're just not very good
3: yeah well he got sacked what nine times in that Titans game
4: yeah and he got sacked you know he got sacked 55 times over the 51 times over the course of the season um but he did he did a a really rare double uh and this and this i think there's a lot of a million statistics out there especially as they apply to quarterbacks but uh, and some of them have more merit than others, but the, it's a very rare combination that a guy leads the NFL in completion percentage and average yards per attempt. You know, there are a lot of guys that can complete. So you're saying he's not Sam Bradford? No, I'm, what I'm saying is he is not Sam Bradford. Sam, say what,
3: like 71 completion, 71% completion percentage one year, each for five yards?
4: Right pretty yeah. much and that's you know i mean if you look in the eagles if you look in the eagles uh, all time statistics highest completion percentage for a season those kinds of things sam bradford's up there in all of them but yeah. you know he he never he never scored touchdowns he no, never won games sam. Yeah. but this guy led the league in completion percentage and led the league in average yards really per great. attempt so that that's i mean that's that's a very very rare double i don't know that i've ever seen that before i think i think that uh, you, you, i mean you might have to go back brady might have done it one year but uh, to to do it uh, to do it right now at this stage of your career is pretty remarkable. So that's Joe Burrow and then you know Matthew Stafford is Wait, a different before
3: you get before you get to Stafford because the, the one question I have for Burrow and I, and I guess you probably answered it already, but it is the, this is the interesting thing that I'm curious to see which is is this finally the moment that's too big for him, right? He he won the Heisman trophy, he won the national championship. You mentioned that LSU team. Uh, he was this year NFL Comeback Player of the Year after he ripped up, his shredded his ACL last year, uh, and he has taken a franchise that was just dead in the water for decades to the Super Bowl. So, to me, the angle, the 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 whole the storyline is is this is this another another tier that he ascends? Is this another great step that he climbs, or is this where he finally stumbles? That's that's the story I'm really looking for
4: today. Yeah, and um, I mean that's. You know that that's the great unanswered question, and we'll find out later on today. I will say this: uh, if he struggles tonight and the Bengals do not win, and clearly if he struggles, they will not win, uh, it won't be because of what you just said that the moment was too big for him. Mm-hmm. He can handle the moment. I don't know that he can handle the Rams' defense. You know, I mean, yeah. you saw, I mean, right. you saw last year. You know, we all know what Patrick Mahomes is. I mean, we've all seen how brilliant Patrick Mahomes is, and you saw what happened. Last year in the Super Bowl, when he went into that game against that Tampa Bay defense with a with an offensive line that was missing both of its tackles, and you know Patrick Mahomes was running for his life the whole game, um, that could very well be how this game breaks down tonight. It won't be because he goes out there and freezes, which is really kind of what happened. If you look back at the Jared Goff Super Bowl um, when the Rams when the Rams went to the Super Bowl and only got three points, um, I mean, if you saw Jared Goff, he was just Terrified the yeah. entire game, uh, and once once he froze up, which he clearly did right at the beginning of the game, they had no chance. Well, I'm not saying that that um, Matt, uh, I'm not saying that uh, Joe Burrow, Burrow. is going to. Yeah, I'm not saying that Joe Burrow is a cinch to win this game. But if he doesn't win the game, it won't be because he, he didn't have. He didn't have the uh, the fortitude or the guts to win it. I mean, he's got plenty of that. I just don't know if he has the offensive line. Tough to do it if Aaron
3: Donald is that will allow him to do it. Their shoulders, right? Yeah, Uh, boy. And it's funny because you mentioned Mahomes. The AFC is just loaded with that young, those young quarterbacks. That to me is the story of the NFL over the next three, four, five years.
4: Yeah, it's really the difference between the two conferences. I mean, the NFC has got all these veteran quarterbacks. And the AFC is just loaded with all these great young quarterbacks. And it really is it really is a very, very clear distinction. But the AFC is uh, – I mean, they're poised to play some really exciting football for the next few years with these guys under center.
3: All right, so let's look at the Rams. Um, even before last year's Super Bowl, the Rams realized that Jared Goff was not their guy. They made the trade – I forgot this. They made the trade last year before the Super Bowl, sent Goff – what was that? I think two first round draft picks and something else to Detroit got Matthew Stafford, who I think you said yesterday had languished for a decade in Detroit, and now here comes his moment, Ray.
4: Yeah, um, and he's coming into this game in a whole different in a in a whole different sort of vehicle than uh, than than Joe Burrow. And uh, I I've I've always been a Matt Stafford guy. I saw him play at Georgia. I thought he was really really talented. I wasn't surprised at all. He was the first player picked in the draft. He should have been. I thought that he was that good. And then he winds up getting picked by Detroit. And that's you know that's what happens to some young quarterbacks. You know, if they're that good, they're at the top of the draft, and the teams at the top of the draft are very often teams that are hapless and helpless. And you know, we kind of see Trevor Lawrence maybe has found that situation in Jacksonville. Maybe Doug Peterson can change that. But certainly Matthew Stafford found it in Detroit and there was no escaping it for a decade he was stuck with a team that never gave him never gave him the team never gave him the organization never gave him the coaching never gave him the direction that he had a chance to win finally he gets traded to the rams and makes all the difference in the world in that team i mean he's he is still it's interesting he, he is still a, a very much a gunslinger which uh, is which comes back to bite him a lot i mean if you look this year i mean he did throw 17 interceptions and Um, it's very rare that a guy leads the league in interceptions and is quarterbacking in the Super Bowl. Those two two things don't usually go hand-in-hand, but they did in this case. Now, he he had them in a bunch in a stretch kind of in the middle of the season when, frankly, he played very poorly. Um, But at the end of the year, he he started playing better, and he's played quite well in the postseason. And he knows what this means. I mean, this may be be his – Joe Burrow, you look at Joe Burrow and you feel like This guy's going to have multiple chances to win a Super Bowl. This is not going to be Joe Burrow's last rodeo, I don't believe. Could be for Matt Stafford. So, I mean, he's fully aware of what this opportunity represents. It's an opportunity for him to go out and totally rewrite his chapter in the NFL history book uh, to go there. and, And, you know, he saw what Tom Brady did last year. He saw Tom Brady went to a new team and won a Super Bowl in his first year. He's trying to do that, too.
3: Nice. All right, uh, let me just set up the show a little bit. We'll get a phone call or two in here at the top, 215-592-9494, 215-592-9494. Well, the two subjects we open with are probably going to dominate the show, of course. We will talk about the Super Bowl. Ray's going to give you all the X's and O's, and we've got all kinds of other little Super Bowl odds and ends to discuss. And the Sixers are the story right now following the trade uh and where they are headed right now you want to talk about uh the flyers or baseball or whatever we'll certainly be happy to take the call as well we're going to talk to jeff mclean of the inquire he is out at the super bowl we're going to get him at noon and 11 mark Zumoff, the 28 year voice of the philadelphia 76ers will discuss uh, will call us and we'll discuss all nature of that and by the way just uh, one more thing before we go the phones ray uh, i got um, outstanding, tremendous feedback yesterday on our conversation with Dick Vermeil, newest member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, that was a real highlight. It was a real highlight. First of all, being able to get him yesterday was great, and your longstanding relationship with him really made that possible. And and secondly, the the candor, the honesty um, that he spoke with, you know, just the the open emotion, and quite frankly, you getting emotional at the end of that. It was it was it was really. It was a very special fifteen minutes for the show, Ray.
4: Oh, that's that's cool. I heard a, a lot of people checked in with me afterwards and um, and <laughs> and said you were kind of you were kind of choked up there at the end, weren't you? And I said, uh, oh, you know, I, I I didn't know that it came across, but I guess that it oh, did. Yeah. Uh, you were
3: a little forclimp
4: there. <laughs> yeah, but you know we uh, hey, listen, I, I go back a long way with that guy. You know, yeah. from nineteen seventy six, from when he first walked in the door as the coach of the Eagles, all the way up to today, and. Uh, um I just have the utmost respect for him and I am I am just absolutely thrilled that he got his call to Canton because that is so so well deserved. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait for that speech. That's going to be that's going to be one for the ages, no question about it. It's going to be an all-timer.
3: 215-592-9494. Will in New Jersey starts us off. Will, you're on with Glenn and Ray. How you doing? Hi guys, how are you? All right.
0: Hey, I just wanted to echo what you were saying is you know, I didn't get a chance to listen to the show yesterday live. I ended up listening to it last night around ten o'clock and I got I got so choked up and the questions that you guys asked Coach was just
3: unbelievable.
4: Yeah, he um it was really nice that he found the time for us. I mean there's so much there's so much going on with him right now. I mean he's out in Los Angeles now and there's I'm sure he's He's got a million requests, and people are pulling on him to go this way and go that way. And, you know, the fact that he carved out some time for us, um, 9 a.m. West Coast time, I'm really grateful. And, you know, uh, I knew what this meant to him. Uh, I, You know, he was not a guy that campaigned for it. He wasn't a guy that, uh, you know, asked people to write letters for him. I mean, that's, that's just not him. But yeah. he he really, this was something that he really wanted. And I know it means the world to him and Carol and you know, Richard and David and Nancy and all the grandchildren. I mean there this is this is a huge, huge moment and it is so well deserved. It's you know, it's nice to see a nice guy finish first, you know, it really is.
0: I know, and I remember being a kid when they lost the Super Bowl in eighty one and then in two thousand when he won that. It it was almost part of me was like it's almost like the Eagles had won. And the mm-hmm. fact that he remembered all those guys and You know, your relationship with him, Ray, and you got me a little choked up yesterday. So, you know, I had to call today, and you guys did such a great job with that, and I appreciate you giving me a couple minutes of your time.
3: Well, thank you. Thanks, Will. Uh, Appreciate that. I I do appreciate it, and I I will tell you this, Ray, and I think this sums up a lot. So, after he is named to the Hall of Fame earlier this week, um, the three teams for whom he coached, the Eagles, the Rams, and the Chiefs, all put up on social media, you know, congratulations to the coach with a picture of him and, uh, you know, so on. And uh, I I am taking this on faith because somebody told me this. I didn't look this up myself, but I I have no reason to doubt this is true. Um, When something goes up on social media, people will like it, retweet it, you know, give it a thumbs up, whatever, okay, on various social media. Mm -hmm. The number of... Eagles fans, people who responded to the Eagles tweets, Instagram uh, entries, was like five times the number of people from the Rams or the Chiefs. And he won the Super Bowl with the Rams. (laughs) Yeah, he did. (laughs) But the people in Philadelphia or the people who are Eagles fans are the ones who are excited about it. Yeah. Well, you know what? I I guess the Rams have an excuse. They kind of left St. Louis in the interim, so maybe that plays into it. But he coached this team forty years ago, and people still embrace him like that. It's a special relationship it's a lifetime relationship
4: yeah he's still he's still on billboards in the city and and always will be and I think there well there are two two reasons for that number one was he came in here and took over the Eagles the people in this city love this football team. You and I have talked about the fact that Philly is really a football town, and it clearly is oh sure and but you look at what that team was in 1975, 1976. I mean, they that was. I mean, that was Skid Row. I mean, it was. I mean, that was as bad as it gets. <laughs> and the fans here, and the fans here had almost given up hope. They really had. I mean, the team was at the bottom. They had traded away all their drafts for like the next five years, and there was a feeling that we'll, you know, we'll never get it. We're in a. We'll never get out of this hole. And Dick came in and, <laughs> in three years' time, changed the whole thing around. And in year five, had him in the Super Bowl and. And then everybody kind of watched the meltdown happen, and everybody there was was a tremendous amount of sympathy and empathy for what he went through because everybody knew that it was the way he was working and building the team was what took that toll on him. So when he stepped away, he stepped away, but he never left Philadelphia. I mean, he Mm -hmm. stayed here, made this his home. Even though he coached the Rams, this remained his home. He coached the Chiefs, this remained his home. He's here. He's made it very clear he never wants to live anywhere else. Uh, And the people here have just embraced him as – First of all, a great Philly guy, which he has certainly become. And secondly, the guy that just changed changed the arc of football in Philadelphia. I mean, this, this team was going absolutely nowhere, and Dick almost single-handedly turned it around. And from that time on, really, from the Vermeule years and pretty much up to today, the Eagles have been a pretty good franchise. And Dick Vermeil's the guy that put them on the path to that. Nicely said.
3: 215 We will have some Eagles talk. We'll have Super Bowl talk. Sixers, uh, Bob and Ed are hanging. They'll come up next. If you want to join them, 215 592 9494. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack now on a snowy Sunday Super Bowl morning in the Delaware Valley on
1: 94 WIP.
0: Call from mom. Answer it. Call
1: silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game.
0: You have 47 new voicemails.
1: Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. If your day sounds like...
2: We need the report ASAP.
1: You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through, you deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame, you deserve this ice cold reward. Modelo, the mark of the responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port
2: Chicago, Illinois.
4: P. Ryan is in, one timeout for Cincinnati, and going deep into the end zone, and caught by Chase! Oh my goodness, what a grab! 34-yard touchdown,
3: Pro! Oh, Ray, we're going to get some of that today. I hope so. That's Hey, great matchup today, Ray, in the Super Bowl. Since the offense versus Rams defense, will Jalen Ramsey be able to lock up Jamar Chase? That, to me, is one of the great storylines
4: tonight. Yes, it is, uh, and they're certainly going to feature that. I mean, when the game and all the pregame shows are going to feature that at the start of the game, they're going to highlight that. I guarantee you there'll be a camera ISO'd on that matchup. Uh, all day and they should I mean that's really that's really a key one I mean you see what Jamar Chase has done he has been absolutely sensational uh Justin Jefferson set the record last year as all Philadelphia fans (laughs) have been often reminded reminded of of that often reminded of the fact that he set the record for most receiving yards uh by a rookie uh and then Jamar Chase came out this year and broke it and uh he has not slowed down in the postseason but Typically, if the Rams play this the way the Rams have played most games, they will put, put Jalen Ramsey, who was one of the best, if not the best, one-on-one defender uh, in the NFL on Jamar Chase, on the rookie, and see if, he can, see if he can handle it. I mean, you look back over this year, one of the things I did when I was doing my research for this game was I looked at how Jalen Ramsey played against the top guys when he played against them this year, and he did pretty well. Justin Jefferson held him to just three catches and 25 yards. Uh, He had to play against DK Metcalf. We've all talked about DK Metcalf. Why the why didn't the Eagles take him instead of JJ Ortega Whiteside? That's another story for another day. We know you're
3: bringing out all the old. I I know,
4: I know. I'm bringing all the skeletons out of the closet. But he held he held DK Metcalf to three catches for 25 yards, and when he played against um, uh, Devontae Adams, uh, who's obviously a great player in Green Bay with a great quarterback, he held him to just five catches. So he's been he's been up against the best, and he's gotten the better of all of them. And now. And now Jamar Jamar Chase gets a chance to see what he can do against him on the biggest stage of all.
3: Uh, you mentioned the Cincinnati line, and that that's offensive line, and that's going to be huge. So if you're you know if you're if you're game planning for Cincinnati, how do you try to overcome that?
4: It's going to be very hard. I I mean I don't know if you, if you look at that line man for man, it's it's just you know they're just not very good. I mean it's uh, you know Jonah Williams, who's the left tackle anyway, allowed. Ten sacks himself this year. Uh, the guards Jesus. inside, um, the guards inside, are are not very good. And Isaiah Pri- oh, Isaiah Price, the right tackle, kind of the same way. I mean, there's just there's just nothing there. And you know, the Rams can attack. Everybody talks about Aaron Donald, and he's the best defensive lineman in football by a long shot. At twelve and a half sacks this year. But it's not just Aaron Donald. I mean, you know, they've got Vaughn Miller, who was who was only a Super Bowl MVP a yeah, couple of years good, ago. Good pickup. Uh, and uh, and Leonard Floyd. Who's the who's on the other side? So they're going to come at you not just with one great player, but they're going to come at you with two coming up the middle. But you're going to come at you with two guys who are Pro Bowl level players coming off the edges. So that's going to be that's going to be a real problem. I just don't they you they the Bengals can't block them. They they, they just can't block them. So they're going to have to find a way. They're going to have to you know they're going to, have to scheme their way out of this to some degree. Joe and Nixon. one of the things that they'll probably try to do, and certainly I would try to do. Is is run the ball? You know, I mean, they've got Joe Mixon, who's a good running back. He gained twelve hundred yards this year, uh, and I think they're going they're going to have to lean on him to to give them some balance in the offense. They can't afford to fall behind and get into a pass, pass, pass mode, and they can't get they can't get one dimensional in their play calling. They have to come out and they have to run Mixon early and keep Mixon in the game to sort of keep that defense, that Rams defense a little bit honest they can't mm-hmm. turn this into a 45-50 pass attempt game for joe burrow cuz even as good as joe burrow is i don't think he can survive a game like that
3: bob and del ran wants to talk about joe burrow bob what are you thinking yeah yeah i want to talk about joe burrow i've
0: i've seen him and it's pretty obvious how great the guy is and i am just like just amazed how this guy can process as as Ryan, you've said it's about processing what they see on the field and making a decision. That's the key thing. That's what Brady's thing is too as well. I mean, they got great arms and everything like that, but is that something that can be taught? And what is the success rate of that? Or is that just something inbound? And I guess I'm kind of going into jail and hurt. Can that be learned or is that just something inherent that can't be taught? Either got it or you don't.
4: Yeah. um, Yeah. I, I see. I see what you're asking, Bob. It's, um, it can be taught, and guys can improve, but there are guys who are um, who are almost savant-like in their in their ability to see the field and process information. Brady was Brady is certainly an example of that. I mean, you look at you look at Brady, his physical ability, um, not a particularly mobile guy, um, has a, a good arm, but not a great arm. Yeah. But what's made him the greatest quarterback of all time is what's between his ears. Is he has he just has a feel for the game. An ability to process, to see things, dissect things, and process information, yeah. and get the ball out of his hand quicker than anybody else. You can teach, you can coach, you can coach a guy to to a certain extent and make him better, but there are certain guys that just have that gift. Uh, and I, you know, and Joe Burrow has that gift. He does, he just does. I mean, you, and you just saw it, and he yeah. combines it, and he combines it with with tremendous toughness. I, I saw a piece yeah. on him this week from from his high school days. When, um, as good as a player as he was in high school as a quarterback, he was also their nickel back on defense. When they went to five defensive backs, he came in and played safety and they showed some footage of him coming up and I'm telling you, really sticking guys. So, I mean, he's, uh, he has that kind of, he has that kind of toughness that's, it's made him without question the leader of that team. And you just look at the way the guys look at him in the huddle. There's no question they have absolute, complete, total confidence that if they can keep him in the game, they have a chance to win any game. Yeah, yeah.
3: So generational.
4: Yeah, I think he is. I mean, we use we always use the term um, franchise quarterback, and everybody's looking to draft a franchise quarterback. And sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. You know, I mean, there, there's a lot of there are a lot of Tim Couches and Achilles Smiths out there. Um, but this guy, I I never had a doubt after I saw him play at LSU. I mean, he. He was it, and you look at what this franchise was I mean, this, this is a team that won two games two years ago, and oh, yeah. I mean, they've changed. Oh, I mean they've brought in they some got better. him, right? Yeah, but they've brought in some, brought in some better players, and, and they've done some things that they needed to be done, but what's made the biggest difference is the quarterback. I mean, they got him now, and uh, uh, this guy, I'm telling you, this is not the last Super Bowl he's going to play in.
3: <laughs> Ed in Westgrove is with us. Uh, Ed, what's your thoughts today?
4: Well, first of all, congratulations to Dick Vermeule.
3: Well, long overdue, in my
0: opinion. And, uh, you know, I, I was probably, what, 15 when he came in. And uh, I actually saw him at a University of Delaware game. He was there with Vince Papali. Vince Papali's son was playing for University of Delaware, and it was halftime. He was up against the wall with Vince, and he's talking. And I felt like a kid going up to him saying <laughs> hi with the butterflies in the stomach. But him and Vince could not have been nicer talk to me and, and take the time there. And, and what struck me also was he's with Vince Papali. I mean, that coach-player relationship that he would come to a local University of Delaware game to watch Vince's son play. Me. Yeah. It is um,
4: it, it, it is a very special bond that exists between Dick and his former players. Um, and it, it works both ways. I mean, he supports all of his guys all the time. I mean, yesterday I was telling the story, and this is true. I know this to be a fact that Dick will still pick up the telephone and call guys that played for him in high school. I'm not just guys that won a Rose Bowl for him. I'm not just guys that won a Super Bowl for him. He, he picks up the phone and checks in on the guys who played for him at Hillsdale High School just because he's that kind of person. And that, you know, that builds a, a sense of loyalty and a bond and truly a love between, between a coach and a player that's very, very rare. But, uh, yeah. but that's the way Dick is with the players, and the players feel that way for him.
0: Yeah, two speeches. Brian Dawkins was, for, uh, but I'm, I can't wait for yeah. Dick Vermeer to speak. So, But uh, to, to my Joe Burrow point, um, Ray, I thought I remember you saying one time, and there was a quarterback that came out of Stanford, drafted by the Indianapolis Colts, and he did nothing but took a pounding over and over again. And I thought you remember you saying that it was criminal that Indianapolis never put an offensive line in front of Andrew Luck.
4: Yeah, you're right about that. Uh,
0: I'm hoping that's not the same for Joe Burrow. I, you know, I just this guy, this kid is special. I'm, I'm going to be rooting for him tonight, and just wanted to get your thoughts on that.
4: Yeah, um, just yeah, funny, Ed. Um, I I think about that comparison a lot. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I really do. I mean, when when Cincinnati came in uh, to the link last year and played the Eagles, uh, and you just saw Joe Burtis getting crushed on every on every play. Uh, I mean, I was I was cringing because I I just had. I had visions of, oh, God, this is Andrew Luck all over again. And I, I still to this day believe that if Andrew Luck had gone with an organization that would have done more to put a decent team around him and to try to protect him, um, that he could have gone on and become one of the all-time best quarterbacks. I mean, I thought, I thought he was Elway-like. I thought he had that kind of ability to be that kind of player. But because of the way the team and the front office uh, just basically screwed up, his, his career was over before he never even got to 30 uh, and I would hate to think the same thing could happen to Joe Burrow. And, frankly, last year I was a little afraid that it would. Um, but now, I don't know. I, I, the, the offensive line, it has to be totally overhauled. I don't know that you can go forward with any of these guys, to be honest with you. I mean, they have to rebuild this offensive line and get an offensive line in front of them. Or else they could wind up with an Andrew Luck situation, which would be a real tragedy. It really would. But, you know, you see the way they've been running this offense. Um, they're trying to build it as best they can. They're trying to mix in the run to keep the other team a little bit honest. And most of all, most of all, they've got him getting the ball out of his hands so quick. And that's going to be the whole key tonight. I mean, you're going to see him. He's not going to be standing in the He's not going to be standing in the pocket, tapping the football, tapping the football, because he can't. He knows he can't. So the whole game is going to be about him getting rid of the ball in a hurry. And it kind of limits your range. You know, I mean, he can't hold it and wait for Jamar Chase to get that 60-yard separation down the field. But that's kind of where they are right now. But if they can put a better offensive line around him, with some of these playmakers he's got at the receiver position, man, the Bengals are the Bengals could be. I mean, they could be putting together an offensive juggernaut. Whoever
3: thought Cincinnati might be a dynasty
4: of some sort? Yeah, I know. Well, they got they got the quarterback and they got the receivers. They got the quarterback and they got the skill position guys. Now they just got to figure out how to make that offensive line work.
3: I mean, I'm sure. I don't know what their salary cap situation is. I imagine it's pretty good, right? Burrows on his first contract, and I don't know a whole lot of Jamar Chase on his first contract. I don't know a whole lot of high-priced uh, players there. So you spend, you go out and you get a whoever the best veteran offensive lineman in the free agent market is. You steal him, and you spend your first-round pick on an offensive lineman, and then hey, you're two fifths there, right?
4: Yeah, I think they should. You know, uh, it's it it raises an interesting question that. Um, that was, that was discussed widely, heck, you and I discussed it going into, the, going into this year's draft, last year's draft, was, okay, the Bengals are sitting there and they've got the fifth overall pick. What do you take? Do you take, do you take Jamar Chase, knowing that he's a great receiver, knowing that he played with Joe Burrow at LSU, I mean, knowing that they, they're going to step on the field together and have immediate chemistry, do you do that? Or do you acknowledge that, listen, we have a terrible offensive line, and we gotta start put we gotta start rebuilding it. And do you use that pick and take Penny Sewell, the tackle from Oregon, or do you take Rashawn Slater, the tackle from Northwestern? You know, both of them blue chip offensive linemen that are guys you can kind of build around. What's your choice? You know, I mean what I mean you could make a very good argument on either side of that. You know, the Chase is just he's too good a receiver to pass up, he's too much of a playmaker, and he and Joe obviously can work together and win together. Or do you start the rebuild on the offensive line with two guys that or can 't miss offensive lineman. I guarantee you that that discussion went back and forth in in the Cincinnati draft room uh, and as I said you can make a good argument on both on either side of it they took chase i 'm sure they don 't regret it but i 'm telling you right now there's <laughs> they 're going to be drafting offensive lineman this year for sure yeah,
3: but as you said it seems they 've worked out okay uh, two on five, five, nine, 94, 94 we have people on hold want to talk about Dick for the Super Bowl the sixers and Ben Sims don 't forget at eleven o 'clock. We're going to check in with Mark Zumoff, uh who I'm doing a uh, – and Ray, actually. We're going to be involved in a very good charity effort this coming week, and you want to hear what Zoo has to say from his perch. Ray Dinger, Glenn Mack, now. Back in the day. It's one of those well-known teams back in here. Therese Maxey for three. Great game uh, by Therese Maxey yesterday. Great game by the Sixers. Real anticipation. We don't know if James Harden's gonna play this week. Sixers next play Tuesday against Celtics. He's gonna wait till after the All-Star game, but boy, it's exciting. And Ray, you know how I know that the Sixers deal was a brilliant move. Uh, how's that? Because you judge it by the critics. And if there's anything that makes me confident about the Sixers picking up Harden, it's this From lead jack wagon, Skip Bayless. Okay. Quote, Sixers just made a huge mistake. Nets just made a steal of a deal. Hmm. If Skip doesn't like it, Ray, I think it's going to (laughs) work.
4: Well, Stephen A. wasn't too crazy about it either. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Uh
3: Really? Yeah. That surprising me. What What was his? I I don't mean to make you the Stephen A. reporter here, but what he didn't he he doesn't like Harden.
4: Um. No. he's like they gave up too much. Oh, all right. They gave wow. up too much. Uh, well,
3: I disagree with that. I disagree with that. Listen, I I praise, I salute Daryl Morey, and and we kind of mentioned it yesterday. He held firm. Everybody told Morey get what you can for Ben. End the soap opera. You got to do this. Just cut your losses. And Daryl Morey waited until the deadline. Um, I think he he kind of sensed, look, I, Joel Beat is having the year that we really need to capitalize on. I'm not going to just do it to cut my losses. I'm not going to give up Maxi. I'm not going to give up Theibel. And now, you know, they go into the stretch run and they have two real superstar players. They have two offensive killers. They have this year's MVP. They have... A guy who won the MVP before, who you hope is revitalized. They have a nice supporting cast. Yeah, they need a backup center, and yeah, they lost a shooter in Curry. But to me, man, they're, they're going to be good. The one thing I will say, and this is just between you and I, uh-huh. on the one hand, they're going to be really exciting. On the other hand, those games are going to take forever and maybe get a little dull there in the final minutes. <laughs> because as you know, it's, it's dribble, 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 dribble pass, get it back, dribble, dribble, get a foul. Uh, right. Yeah. James Harden is a great player who does not play. Uh, listen, winning is exciting. By his nature, he does not play exciting basketball.
4: If you're winning, he does. Well, right. That's that's You're exactly right. That's it. Yeah. All
3: right. Let us uh, talk to Aaron in New Jersey. You're on with Ray and Glenn. Hey, Aaron.
0: Hey, guys. Um, thanks for taking the call. Not that I really want to spend so much time talking about Ben Simmons, but I am curious on your perspective whether you know you think he's going to be able to sort of rehabilitate his career. He's not exactly going to a media market where there's going to be less <laughs> scrutiny on him. Um, and, and I mean, I agree with everything you said, including just now that you know, Maury made the right trade for the right time, capitalizing on Embiid's season. But trading someone like Simmons to a division rival that we will see for the foreseeable future, is this something that could come back to bite them?
3: I don't think so. There is the possibility. There's always the possibility. Um, You know, projecting the future is is iffy, but um, a few things. I don't think that. Ben Simmons is going to develop into much more than he ever has been. He has had every opportunity to do it. Everybody has known over the last seasons and off seasons what he needs to do. You know, go work on your shot, not with your brother. Um, I don't think he's – I don't see why he would now develop the the gumption and the guts that he's going to want to take the potential game-winning shot at the end of the game. Uh, he's certainly in a better situation where he's not going to be relied on to shoot as he was here, but they're still going to foul him toward the end of the game, and he's still going to have to make a foul shot. And that clearly is a tough thing for him to do. Now, I think Ben Simmons is the guy, and Ray, it might have been you who said this to me. If it was, I'll hand it over to you, who he likes the life. He likes the role of being a star basketball player. He wants the reputation, right? but he doesn't have the personality to really be that guy I mean you're talking about you know what Joe Burrow is in the drive and you know we've we talked about great athletes what what drives them to be that and I don't think Ben has that and I don't think he's got the mental makeup to be that guy
4: no no I don't think so either and he's if he hasn't developed it yet you know he certainly isn't going to develop it now I think the one thing to to your point Aaron um, I, I think that he will now be going to a situation where if he's ever going to flourish in the NBA he has an opportunity to flourish with this particular team because the one thing that he doesn't want to do the nets have a bunch of guys that are more than willing to do and that is shoot the ball so all he's really going to have to do is bring the bring the ball up and you're talking in the fourth quarter talking in the last couple minutes and somebody has to hit the big shot he doesn't want it he doesn't want any parts of that we know that for for a fact but he's got he's got Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, He'll have he'll have Seth Curry now. I mean he'll have a lot of guys there that are more than willing to take that shot that he's never wanted to take. So now he doesn't have to take it. So that focus or that you know that lack of his game is going to be less of a factor in Brooklyn with that with that team around him than it was here in Philadelphia. So he's not going to be in a position where he's going to be asked to do the one thing he doesn't want to do and that's shoot the ball because Brooklyn has no shortage of shooters and no shortage of guys that want the ball with with you know with the clock, with time with the clock ticking down. So, I don't think, you know, I think if he's ever going to become a star player, a guy that's part of a winning team, a guy that's actually a constructive contributing part to a winning team, he's got the chance to do that in Brooklyn because he's got the right people around him. Now it's up to him.
3: Thanks,
0: guys. And Glenn, I would be remiss if I didn't ask if you have a beer recommendation for this evening.
3: Well, since we're talking to Mark Zumoff in a couple of minutes, I would recommend Zooisms, which is a beer that we put out at the and Brewing Company. And here's the good thing about it. As you drink it, you will be helping a charity, Philadelphia Youth Basketball. I know it's football day, but still, it's a great beer for charity, and I would go with that. And you just allowed me to do an advertisement for myself, and I appreciate that.
0: <laughs> All right, take care again.
3: All right. Thank you, Aaron. I, I, <laughs> I appreciate it. That was well, good. Asked, i you know, I'm gonna. What am I going to say? Hey, let's uh, just take a couple minutes here. Um, we certainly have had the opportunity to talk with and about Dick Vermeule getting into the Hall of Fame uh, as part of this class. But there are other members of the class. Uh, yesterday, we briefly spoke about Art McNally the, becoming the first referee, the first official to be named in the Hall of Fame, which is a pretty good honor. Local guy. Ray, your thoughts?
4: Oh, yeah. I was, <clears throat> I was really, really happy for Art McNally. I mean, he's the first on-field official to be uh, inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which is really kind of overdue. I mean, in the Basketball Hall of Fame, I mean, you've got got referees in the Basketball Hall of Fame. You've got a lot of umpires in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, There are referees in the Hockey Hall of Fame. But there was no on-the-field official in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which I always thought was kind of an oversight. And the first one, the most obvious one, was Art McNally because he was there forever. He was an on-field official for more than a decade, then went into the league office as the supervisor of officials and was there for half a century, uh, and as a guy that really brought a lot of innovation and, frankly, credibility to the, uh, to the NFL office and officiating. Uh, Art was always a stand-up guy. Whenever there was a controversial call, he was more than willing to step forward and explain it, and it, what he said always made sense. And I've, I've known him for a long time, and he's a Philly guy, went to Roman Catholic, went to Temple went in the Marine Corps, served in the war, and when he came out, uh, became a teacher at Central High School, teacher and a coach at Central High School, and then began refereeing games on the side. Um, CYO basketball, semi-pro football, and worked his way up. And the thing that I remember about Art was when he announced that he was retiring as a full-time supervisor of officials, and this was 1990-91, I was at the Daily News, and they asked me to go to a profile of him. So I went up to his house and i visited him at his house and he lived in bucks county and he pulled out this book and it was like an accountant's ledger and in that he he, he had entered every game that he ever refereed uh, starting in 1946 when he came back from the war he wow. he he, he, he refereed the cleveland rams against the no no, 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 it wasn't anywhere near that. It was, oh, it was, it was the Sandlots in Philadelphia. Oh, wow. <laughs> so the first game, so the first game that he ever, uh, he, he, and he had it, at, he, he printed every word. He was so, he was so Catholic school about this. He printed every word and he put double space between every line, but the first game, and I wrote it down, was between St. Anthony's and the Claymore Athletic Club at American and Luzerne streets mm. in Philadelphia. It was October thirteenth, 1946, and he made $5 for referee in that game. Uh, and he, took, he, he wrote down every game that he worked from that point forward. Um, he had over 4,000 entries in that book, uh, and it spanned the whole of his career. And it took him from American and Luzerne in Philadelphia all the way up to the Super Bowl. And um, talk about a guy dedicated his life to football. He did. And so I always hope that when they talked about contributors to the game, And, you know, the Sables, I thought, belonged in. Ed and Steve Sables certainly belonged in. I thought George Young belonged in. These were people that really helped build the game. Well, clearly, from an officiating standpoint, no one helped more in terms of the development of football and building the game, as from an official standpoint, than Art McNally did. And now, finally, he gets his recognition. He goes in the Hall of Fame. I'm happy to say he's still with us. He's 96 years old. Still living in Bucks County, uh, and I hope he's well enough to make the trip out to Canton because he's a guy that I know uh, certainly deserves deserves that big round of applause. Nice, very nicely said. Two
3: one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Coming up next, special treat: the voice of the Sixers for all those many years. Now enjoying retirement, which, by the way, I talked to him the other day. Is anything but retirement. We're going to check in with Zoo Mark Zumoff, Ray, and Glenn on ninety four WIP. And I want to tell you that uh, BetQL's Giving Props Contest is back for the big game. Whether you played this free-to-play contest the first three weeks of the postseason or not, you have a brand new shot at winning $2,000. Just go to betql.com props to sign up. BetQL has posted 10 new props around the big game. It's easy. Make your picks and you can win two grand. Plus, as long as you sign up at least 15 minutes before kickoff, you'll be entered for the chance at taking home the $10,000 grand prize. Head over to betql.com. Uh, excuse me, veckuwell.com slash props or text P-R-O-P-S to 20357 right now and make your picks. That's props to 20357. Message and data rates may apply.
2: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?